We've been working on the mission and the story of God, and we are uh, at work in this progression. We have moved our way all the way through uh, seven steps in that story uh, up, up until this point, talking about the creation and the, the corruption of that creation, the covenant that God made with Abraham and with his people uh, to help restore what has been corrupted their time in Egypt leading to the Exodus and their time at the mountain of Sinai in the Exodus story to receive a new word about what their uh, people could look like under the word of God. That being made real in some ways during the epic of the kingdom when it was unified and when it was divided until the time that it went into exile. But that exile period was not only bad stuff, right? It wasn't as though that was a time when God's mission stopped. But even when God's people were in exile, God was at work. God was at work deepening their understanding of what it meant to trust in him, deepening their understanding of what it meant to be in covenant with God, deepening their understanding of what it meant to repent of injustice and idolatry. God was still at work. And then, of course, in the Messiah, where we understand in the story of Jesus that in a, in a new and different way, that God is always with us and God is always for us. Jesus' work culminating in the story of the cross and his, his vindication in the resurrection is a story of how God has shown us that he will not abandon creation to the effect of sin and death, but instead intends to be with us forever. That story continues in this eighth chapter or this eighth moment of the story, the moment of the Spirit's arrival. Now, we have talked before of how when we go through these previous chapters, that they don't just end in any moment, that the story of creation, that, that theme is going to continue all the way on through the story. It has echoes that go forward. We've talked about how the, in like the moment of Exodus where God reveals that he is a deliverer, we're going to hear that theme rolling on through the story as it progresses. Well, it's time when we come to this moment for me to say the, the effect works in reverse as well. And the things that are in this, maybe what we would think of as later chapters in the story were actually embedded all the way through. We could have said that with Jesus, right? That although Jesus comes in a particular moment in history in the incarnation, that the presence of Christ was there all the way throughout in ways that we might not have known before. After all, doesn't Paul say that in Christ, all things were created, all things were created by him and through him. Christ was present from that moment on through the story until he was finally made flesh in the story of Jesus and the Spirit is like that too, for surely the story as we have seen it up until now is not absent of the work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit that moved over the face of the waters in creation, right? 
The Spirit has been present in every prophetic word that has been uttered up until this point. Even the apostles later on throughout the book of Acts will say things like, isn't this what, our, what the Holy Spirit spoke through our ancestor David or through the prophet Isaiah? And they use that formula. Isn't this what the Spirit spoke? And they recognize that the Spirit that was now moving them to say things in their moment had been speaking all along. So when we talk about the Spirit's coming, we're not just speaking about a moment, although it is that. It's also something that has been at work all the way through. In Acts chapter 2, we have the story of the Pentecost. And Jesus himself, the Messiah, said to his disciples before he went away, he, he said that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what he says in Acts chapter 1. And so they have an anticipation of this moment of a spirit that will come and overpower them, that will, will come over them. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, we find that that's exactly what happens. Read with me in Acts chapter 2 in the, in the first part of how this story develops. The day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And this provokes such a stir in this moment that uh, they, the people in the crowd began kind of saying, what is going on here? And there are some of them that are saying, how is it? This is amazing. We hear each one of them speaking as though it was in our own language. And then some others are going, well, this is kind of weird. These guys are out here drunk. What's going on? It's nuts. Which leads to the very first opening joke in a sermon. And it's one that I've never tried. Peter stands in front of this gathered group and says, why, I see that some of you think that we're drunk. But we're not. It's only nine in the morning after all. I don't know that that would play well here at Central, but maybe someday I'll give it a go. We'll see. This is the way that the first Christian sermon starts. Wrap your mind around that for just a second, okay? Peter from that goes on to say, though, in this significant recognition of what's taking place, read with me in Acts chapter 2, verses, let's just read verse 15 and following. <laughs> Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, and blood and fire and smoky mist, 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the way Peter describes what's at work. The spirit has come. And it's come in an all-inclusive way, you might note, right? It's come on the little boys and the old men. It's come on the men and it's come on the women. In the whole crowd, whether you're rich or whether you're a slave, it is on us all. Can you see that note in what he says from Joel? That this moment, and, and I, I, very important for what I want to say today, is not just about Peter receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, there were lots of times in the story before where something like that had happened, where a prophet, Isaiah or Elijah or Elisha, was overtaken by the Spirit of God and had a word to share with the people. This is not that kind of moment. It is not a moment where the Spirit only came on Peter to say what he had to say. Rather, the Spirit was on the whole of the community of the people of God. Notice if you flip back into chapter two or scroll back if you're on a phone. I like that we've gone from flipping. Now we're scrolling just like we did in the very beginning. See, that's a better joke for you guys. You know, apostles wouldn't use that one. Okay, notice how it gives us a lot of indication on who it is that's gathered together. Look in verse 12 and following of Acts chapter 1. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer along together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers, right? So we have this understanding that it's not just the apostles. Now, when you've imagined the story of the day of Pentecost. Because it says that the Spirit came upon all of them, right? Have you ever imagined that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there? The flame of tongue, of, 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 a tongue of fire above her head, just as much as it was above Peter's head. Have you ever imagined that? The mother of Jesus there, speaking in Syrian or whatever it was, proclaiming the meaning of her own son's mission in the world. Can you imagine it? This is what Acts invites us into. And it often invites us into breaking the mold of who we think is doing the work. It's very easy for us to read the Acts of the Apostles, after all, and imagine that it is only the Apostles that were the ones doing the work. But the story defies us to take it like that all through the word, all through the story. I want to show you another little thing that happens a little bit further along the way that I think illustrates this really well. There's this moment in Acts chapter 6, 
And in this space, there is an administrative controversy that happens in the church. Some widows, okay, are, there's this, they have a system by, for providing food to some of the widows. They um, give them all Chick-fil-A gift cards, you know. And in that day, they recognize that some of the widows who were Jews who sp- spoke Greek, they're Hellenized Jews. They kind of have been from parts of the world where they are, have been a part of a Greek culture, even though they're Jewish. That they seem to, they feel like they are neglected in favor of the ones that speak Hebrew. So the hometown girls there in Jerusalem who speak Hebrew feel like they are, uh, I mean, they, they, the, 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 the people from out of town say, well, it seems like the folks that live here get a little bit more on their gift card than we do. The truck comes around before them by the time, you know, by the time it gets to us, you know, James and John roll in with a wagon of food and our little styrofoam container's gotten cold already. The apostles say to themselves, and they, they, they say we, we're kind of getting caught up in something that we can't really handle well. In verse 2, the 12 called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on table. So they say, hey, we're getting kind of bogged down in this. And so we don't need to get caught up in this controversy about who gets their food when or who gets how much. It's an administrative problem. So he says, therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing who are full of what? What does it say in your Bible? Full of the full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task while we for our part will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. Now, I appreciate what the apostles are doing here. They say, we need more hands on deck. And so we need some other people to take on this particular job because we want to make sure that we are devoted to the very thing that God has called us to, which is proclaiming the word of God. They want to preach. And so they want some other people to handle some of the other stuff. And so it says in verse 5, what they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they had these men stand before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so we've got this moment. They say, you know what? This tables thing, this administrative job has become a little bit much for us, and so we need some help doing it. And so we're going to pick seven. We need seven dudes who have been evidently full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit at work in their life, and we want to dedicate them, consecrate them to this task. And then what happens after that, if you are looking in your Bible and you see the heading next, we have this story about how Stephen went out and he started taking food to different people. And Stephen went out and it, and it gives us this tell about how he made sure every widow had just the amount that they were supposed to have. And he administered perfectly, you know, that all the, the Greek speaking, wait, 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 wait. Is that in your Bible? 
Oh, that's the way I would have written it. I would have written it so that the apostles made a plan and then what happened after that was exactly what their plan was. I would have followed it up with a nice story about how those widows that had been upset felt really good about the way that these seven men were handling that task and that over time they made sure that every need was taken care of and the whole community celebrated and became even more generous toward these widows. But that ain't the story. The apostles say, we want to make sure that we are available, we apostles are available to go and speak the word of God. So let us appoint seven who will take on this other job. And then what actually happens in the story is that we have stories of two of these people, Stephen and Philip, and what is it exactly that they do? They start not waiting on tables. They start proclaiming the word of God. And these, these men these, that have been chosen, Stephen, what is it we find him doing right after that? Look in verse eight with me. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. I don't know if any of those were food administrative related or not. But he gets into this controversy some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others that call from Cilicia and Asia stood up and they argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And what happens from that is Stephen begins in this, in this incredible way to proclaim the, way of, the, the, way, the word of Jesus in an undeniable way that begins here and then he's arrested and he speaks it in the temple. In the end of chapter seven, I'm not gonna read all of Stephen's speech even though it is so remarkable. But when he finishes it, look with me in Acts seven, verse 54 and following. When they heard these things, all of the things that Stephen had to say there about Jesus, when they heard these things, they became enraged and then ground their teeth at Stephen, but filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, they all rushed together against him, and they dragged him outside of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. And this is what the Holy Spirit had for a man who just signed up to work the tables. After that, though, we get the story of Philip. And if you note right below this, you'll see that Philip, just like Stephen, moves on to proclaiming the word of God in different ways. Now, Philip isn't going to be martyred in the story, at least not at this point. 
But the Spirit is just as much in charge of what happens. Read in verse 26 with me. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. And so he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians in charge of the entire treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to that chariot and join it. And then as we read the story, the Ethiopian eunuch is going to end up deciding to be baptized. And if you read that in in verse, uh, let's come all the way to verse 36. As they were going along to the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is it to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. Philip baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more uh, and, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he was passing through the region. As he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I mean, I wouldn't have written that part either, right? I would have had Philip riding all the way down to Ethiopia. This teaching this new convert more about what it meant to follow Jesus, right? Doing some of the teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I mean, doesn't this guy need a little more discipling than just what he got in the car ride? But isn't this the way the Spirit works? Sometimes the Spirit says, go and talk to this person. And sometimes the Spirit snatches you away just when you think things were going according to plan. The Spirit of God cannot be contained in any of our ideas about what it should or should not do. It cannot be contained within the voice of any one person. It is wild with all the freedom of God and will direct us to do things that we had never imagined. Sure, you click on that link, sign up genius. I'll have a sign up genius. I'll have a, I'll have a trunk tonight. And who knows? You may find yourself proclaiming the word of God instead. What happens in this way is that the the whole of the people of God, not just the apostles, but the Stephens and the Phillips and the Marys and everybody else that's a part of the community of God's people, they find themselves in moments where the Spirit has work for them to do. And that's how... The story of Jesus, that is the story of how Jesus has called all, has brought this good news of the gospel. God is with us and for us. And the way that that message, that gospel message goes out into the world is by God's spirit bringing it into the world. Through ordinary, regular people, just like Peter and James and John and Philip and Mary and you and like me. And it's all kinds of little moments where people who have learned how to listen hear the Spirit saying, go get in that chariot. That person has a word that they need to know from God. Just as the Son is sent into the world, the Spirit 
is sent into the world. The story doesn't end on the cross or even at the tomb. The story continues as God moves not just through the person of Jesus. As special as that moment is, it's not the last part of the story. The mission of God continues as the Spirit is sent into the world. And then as the Spirit is at work. As the Spirit is at work, that word that Jesus embodied and Jesus proclaimed, that word goes into the rest of the world and begins to do its work in shaping new pockets of people into the the shape of the cross of Jesus. Leonard Allen has written, the mission of the Spirit is equal in importance to the mission of the Son. I find that to be an incredibly challenging idea. Because as we all know, the the cross and the resurrection, aren't those the center of the story? But to say that the mission of the Spirit rises in importance to the same Importance of the mission of the Son is to say, like Paul says, that there are still some things, as full as the work of Jesus is, there are still some things that need to be fulfilled. For God's mission to be accomplished. So by the work of the Spirit, the things that Jesus has done continue to roll in through the generations. By the Spirit, every generation and every disciple is drawn into experiencing the mission of God, not just hearing about it, not just hearing the rumor of something that happened a long, long time ago. That was the story of God. Rather, now we begin to understand that the story is ongoing And it's ongoing by the spirit that is at work within us. We don't just hear the story. We don't just believe the story. We are experiencing the mission of God at work in the world. And the way that I would say that, just one last little thing, is to say that by the spirit, the mission of God works on us and through us. By saying it works on us, it means that, what I mean by that is, is that the mission, of the, the God's spirit sometimes interacts with us in a way that, to kind of, to kind of get, us, get our attention, to wake us up, to speak to us. God's spirit has worked on you. And some of you are, think of real clear moments in your life where you felt the Spirit of God working on you. Say amen, man. If you felt that, I remember a moment. I remember a moment so clearly. And I told the teenagers this last week when I was teaching teen class. I remember this moment. And I was, you know, I was just in a little bit of turmoil in my life. I mean, not, nothing too dramatic, but I just was having this sense this dis-ease about where my life was with God. And in this moment, in the fall of 97, I can remember so clearly having this palpable sense 
of the love of God over me. And this sense of the grace of God that was forever and always welcoming me, always welcoming me into his presence. And that may not sound like very much to you, but I'm telling you on that fall day, it it was like water rushing over me in a waterfall. And I don't know how to say what was going on except for to say it felt like the Spirit was working on me. Now, every Tuesday isn't like that, okay? But I can tell you that in that moment, have you ever had a moment like that? I mean, I don't know how many I've had, 10, 12, that were that profound, maybe less than that, maybe just a handful. And I don't know about you either. Maybe it's like that for you every morning when you get up and pull out your Bible and your cup of coffee. But my experience is that a lot of times we just kind of do, we're, you know, we, we, we kind of open ourselves to it, but it's up to the Spirit to do it when He wants. And every once in a while, it just works on you in a different way. So the, the Spirit of God is God bringing, put, bringing me to his mission in some way. Sometimes the Spirit works on me, and sometimes it works through me. I've never been told by the Spirit to go up on a chariot, but I've had lots of times where I felt like there was somebody that was just about begging me to tell them something about Jesus. Last week, we've been praying for our missionaries. And I don't know if you guys saw, some of you saw the note in the Facebook group. We were praying for um, the Daggetts one day last week. And we had put on there, you know, we're praying for them. Did anybody see the note from Jeremy where he responded later to that? You guys see this? And Jeremy said, hey, I want you to know we were praying for them to have concrete opportunities to share the gospel. That's what, that was the prayer for that day. And Jeremy responded and said, I just want you to know that as you guys were praying this today, I've had like two or three different times where I had clear opportunities to share faith with people that we've interacted with. One of them was like with a neighbor, one of them was this married couple. Spirit of God working through you, through us, through Jeremy. Have you ever had those moments where it just seemed like it opened up for you and it was just the moment for you to speak something of the name of Jesus? Maybe it was a a piece of comfort that somebody needed. Maybe it was some encouragement. Maybe it was a warning because they were headed into something that was gonna be destructive to their life. Maybe it was simply that word that says, hey, you know what? God loves you very much and I do too and I embrace you in the name of Jesus. You ever had anything like that? Uh, Not rhetorical. You ever had anything like that? 
That's what it's like when the mission of God is not just something that we've heard about way in the past, but it's something that the Spirit is bringing us into the mission today. Man, it's Sunday, October 30th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And we've got this outlandish plan today. We're going to go over to the park, (laughs) open up our trunks, and give kids candy. What could go wrong? What could go right? What could go neither wrong or right, but what could go differently than we might imagine? Who knows? Maybe some Ethiopian eunuch ride by in a chariot and the Spirit will say to you, go, go. Maybe it won't be today. Maybe it'll be a Monday afternoon, right when you're cleaning up your desk at the end of the day to head home. And you notice that coworker is sitting with her head just a little bit lower at the desk than normal. You'll hear the wheels of the chariot rolling by. Hear the spirit say, go, go. Maybe it'll be Thursday afternoon when you're taking your kids to that basketball practice and you're just sitting there thumbing through your phone as you do. And you'll notice that the dad that's sitting next to you kind of has this different look as he looks out and he's watching his kid at practice that day. And if you listen really, really carefully, maybe you'll hear the voice of the Spirit saying, go. Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon, Wednesday over tea, who knows? I could give you a plan, but the Spirit wouldn't care very much about my plan. Wouldn't care very much about how I write the story. But I believe that when we open ourselves and become attentive, that the Spirit will find moments in our days, moments in our weeks, moments in our lives to open up doors where the mission works through us. So let us be an attentive people. Let us be a hearing people. And may the Spirit find opportunity after opportunity to work on us, changing us, shaping us. And may the Spirit find ways to work through us until the name of Jesus is named by every tongue and every knee bows. Praises him for the Lord that he is. Let's stand and sing together.